subject on this episode is coming your way probably about three or four weeks after I'd originally anticipated that it would. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins that I hope you'll check out. Rays 4, Pirates 1 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Last night, the best team in baseball beat the current and fairly described second best team in baseball. And it wasn't the worst showing by the visitors. To what I spoke about on yesterday's show, what you wanted to see more than anything else was that the Pirates would look like they belonged in the same field with these guys. And they had a couple of lapses. They had a pop-up that plopped down, which happens in that place all the time because of that screwy roof. They had a lot of guys not come through in the clutch, which is something that you need to do when you're facing an opponent of that caliber. 0 for 10 for the risk total runners in scoring position. Not good. Five total hits for the Pirates. Not good. So, yes, they did well to get people on the bases. They did well to advance people on the bases. They did not do well at all to bring them home. Rwanzi Contreras had some lousy luck early on, wasn't able to overcome it. And then there's Austin Hedges. And that right there is what I'd predicted way back in spring training that we were going to spend a ton of time trying to run this dude out of town because he came with the 180 career batting average. He came with the reputation and the performance to match of one of the game's better defensive catchers. But he couldn't hit, and he wasn't about to hit. And as soon as he was going to be put into a position where he had to hit, where he needed to hit, he was going to get exposed, and everyone was going to say, where's Andy Rodriguez, where's Henry Davis? So in this game... With Hedges coming up short at the plate, striking out with guys on second and third after a box should have been called. He flipped out on the umpire, should have flipped out on the umpire. Derek Shelton flipped out on the umpire. Nothing came of it. There was still no balk. Very next pitch ends up being strike three. He just meekly goes back to the dugout. Had another chance at another hit. Ended up getting robbed over by third base. And even defensively, made what I thought was a significant error in throwing down to second base, even though the Rays had a runner on third. The Rays, of course, send that runner home. The throw that comes back to Hedges is way offline over to the first base side, and that's the end of that. These are things you can't have when you're facing, I'll say it again, opponents of this caliber. The Rays don't have that hole in their lineup. And if the Rays are going to have the premier defensive anything at any position, they're probably going to come through. They're not going to make a call like that one. This was Hedge's explanation to reporters last night at Tropicana Field. 
Yeah, that was the that was the play that was called, and that's the play that I would do again. Um, I wish I could have made a made a little bit of a better throw, um, but that's, that was that was the play that we were, that we had on. Uh, no, not necessarily throwing throwing through, but um, you know, getting getting the ball to the infielder there. Um, you know, they made a good baseball play on. I'm not about to start a conversation as to whether or not hedges can play his position. He's really, really, really good back there. And for what it's worth, internally, he gets a ton of the credit for this surge. And it is a dramatic surge that you've seen in the Pirates pitching, particularly with their starters. He works with them as if he's one of them. He communicates with them. He straightens them out. And it doesn't matter if they're young or old. He's gotten credit for that from Johan Oviedo all the way up to Rich Hill, who really praised him after his last start. These are significant facets of the game. They're not to be lightly dismissed because he can't hit. However, he can't hit. And there are a couple of things that you can do about that if you're Derek Shelton. One, for God's sake, when you have guys on first and second and nobody out, do not use Tucapita Marcano to bunt them over so that you can set up hedges. I don't know what the manual is or if there's some sort of cheat sheet for when to bunt and when not to bunt, but it's definitely not whenever a guy with a 143 average is up. That's a swing and a miss in every conceivable way, and that's squarely on the manager. However, however, if you have the catchers in the fold that you're expecting to have, your entire lineup looks different. Your entire lineup, top to bottom, looks different if you plug in an Andy Rodriguez and or a Henry Davis. It just does. Because either one of them, if they show up in the the shape that you'd want them to, meaning the baseball shape, are going to be right there in the middle of your order, okay? These are not like uh, somewhat okay hitters. Andy's the number one prospect in the system. Henry is the number one overall pick in his draft. These are really, really big-time potential hitters. So everything changes. Now, I'm also not here to start a conversation as to whether or not Andy and or Henry should be here already. Andy, of course, is working his way back from an injury, and Henry is in double A. Now, Henry is murdering the ball in double A, and that's great. But you're going to need to see some progressions, and I actually do value to some extent the policies of making sure that you're not losing a guy in free agency before you need to, making sure that a guy doesn't break you uh, through arbitration when he doesn't need to. But I'll tell you this, too. I would not mind seeing more of Jason DeLay. I understand that he appears to get incredible, incredible good fortune when he puts his bat on the ball. I don't know that I've ever seen someone like this. Hardly ever makes good contact, but the ball just ends up somewhere and he gets tons of hits. He's also, and this is according to Pirates management themselves, a very, very good defensive catcher. So 
If you've got one of them hitting 330 and the other one's hitting 130, you know, I'm not saying that he should supplant him, but, you know, when we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Your front door. Your car. Your bike. Your computer. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Visit ProjectChildSafe.org. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. This segment's brought to you by Family Table. Mom-inspired, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door. No prep, no mess, just reheat, which gives you more time for your family or hobbies or going to the gym or whatever. Go to FamilyTablePGH.com. Use the code DK20 for 20% off and free delivery on your first order. Order by noon Thursday for Monday delivery. Family Table, bringing families back to the dinner table. Today's J1Q comes from Jordan Vlock, who says, PK, are Major League Baseball's umpires held to any sort of accountability? It seems this year has been terrible for umpiring and that they're also missing a lot of calls, meaning in addition to balls and strikes. Are robo-umps really a thing of the future or are they just a formality? And Jordan, you don't specify here what the issue was that you had principally with the umpiring in this game, though I'm going to have to assume, and I think safely so, that it was with Adrian Johnson, the home plate umpire, uh, one for blowing the Bach call, which he absolutely did. In fact, the entire crew did. Uh, there are different umpires. They're all supposed to be watching the pitcher. Any umpire on the field. And in fact, more often than not, unless I'm off here, you're going to see a first base or a third base umpire make that call. But you'll also see it come from second. And, of course, from home. But it's not as if that whole thing was just on Adrian Johnson. And that's why Hedges flipped out first on Johnson and then looked around at the other three like, what were you guys doing, sleeping? And then Derek Shelton did the same thing when he came out of the dugout to have his catcher's back. He yelled at Johnson for a bit, but then he looked at the rest of them and, and, and gave it to them. And they weren't about to throw him out. Because they knew, they had to have known they blew that call and that it cost the Pirates a run. And because of the situation, the other runner would have advanced to third. You might have cost the Pirates a chance to tie that game. And yet, even that, Jordan, can't be what you're asking about. Because you did mention balls and strikes. And 
wow, wow, is Johnson bad? Not against the Pirates or anything silly like that. He's just bad. I say this all the time. Officiating in sports, when it's bad, it's just bad. It's not because they're picking on your team or they're sticking it to you or they're favoring this or that or whatever. They're just bad. You just don't know what they're doing. This guy had no earthly concept of what his own strike zone was, which is the meanest thing you can say about a home plate umpire. To make that clearer, pitchers and catchers will adjust to the umpire's perceived strike zone. If they see that he calls a low strike, everyone will take note of it right away. Everyone on both sides. This guy called a low strike, and then he didn't call a low strike. This guy called outer half and then didn't. And he was just all over creation. And it couldn't have made anything any easier for Rwanzi Contreras or for any of the 19 pitchers that Tampa used. But know also, Jordan, that the the robot umps are not going to ever do safe and out calls. They're never going to do did so-and-so block the plate calls, which almost became an issue in this game as well. And they're never going to do something like that. They're not going to be able to call box. They're not going to sit there and watch to see if the pitcher gets set out of the stretch. They're just not going to do that. They can't. Although you never know, really, with all these discussions everybody's having about AI, what they can do is call balls and strikes. And it's happening now in the minors. I have seen at least informed speculation, meaning people reading into uh, statements that Rob Manfred makes that he wants to have it sooner rather than later, but that it probably wouldn't come until around 2026 or so. But then I also saw long-ish dates that were set for all of the changes that we saw happen this year. Nobody thought the pitch clock would be in this quickly. Nobody thought they'd be enlarging the bases and uh, banning the shift and everything else, but it happened very fast. You know why? Major League Baseball has, through its constitution, a very powerful commissioner. And if the commissioner wants to see something put in, he's going to get it put in. So don't rule out seeing the robot umps sooner than 2026. Not nearly soon enough to replace the types of balls and strikes calling that we saw last night. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates, and we're going to do another one of these tomorrow.